0: Welcome, uh, those of you, we always have people who are visiting for whatever reason. If you're visiting a family member, or a friend, thanks for stopping in. You are in week two of what will be a long series in Romans 12. If you've been here for a while, you know we've been in Romans for a decade. And it feels like it. Actually, it's been about, I think, almost a year or so. And we're slowly going through. Well, last week, we hit what is a theme in Romans 12, Room for More, and if you missed last week's teaching, please, if you're a part of the family here, listen in because in the fall we take a Sunday and we carve it out and throw out what we're going to chase after in the next 12 months. So it would be great if, if you call this home to know where we're headed and how you could partner with God in moving in that direction. So, so listen to that if you would. But we did it by reading uh, Romans 12. And what we want to do is read Romans 12, verse uh, 1. And since I shared it last week, I thought it would be better for us to share together. So why don't we just, we have it on the screen, we'll say it out loud together uh, with feel. It's Sunday and everyone's watching sports, so pretend there's some feeling in your soul concerning this, okay? All right, one, two, three. Therefore, I urge, stop, stop. (laughs) That was no feel, man, that was no feel. Okay, one, two, three. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, that was the the sentiment for this year's moving and making room for more. What I want us to do now is think big picture of Romans and then over the next few weeks we're going to look at one or two lines at a time. It's so rich, it's worth stopping for. But if you're new to Romans, Romans is a letter written by a guy who's been sharing good news, he's about to go to a city called Rome, and he sends a letter in advance, because back in the day, I mean, you couldn't FaceTime, no Snapchat, nothing. So how do people know who you are and whether they should listen? So he writes a letter and it's in two parts, Romans one through 11, is what the good news of Jesus is, what it is. So he's going to teach this live, but he sends his notes, so to speak, ahead, so that they'll be ready to ask questions and think about it and probe. Then he flips in the letter, Romans 12-16, through 16, the end, is about how we live out the good news together. Now, the hinge we saw last week that turns it from what I think to how I live is in what we just read, the first few words. Last week was all about, therefore, I urge you. So this is what I've been saying. This is what Jesus has done. Now, I'm urging you to live this way. So that's why we want room for more. And we're going to unpack over the next few months the things that God is urging us to express and live out. And in the big picture, it's more of God's presence in our life. It's it's more of the way I live aligned to the way of Jesus. It's more others-centered. It's resisting the temptation to make following Jesus a Sunday thing and to be what some have coined Sunday Christians. And, and maybe you've been there, maybe you are there. Maybe you think that's the way it's supposed to be. Where I just, I'm Monday through Saturday, there's me, and then yeah, by one day a week I stop and I give Jesus a tip of the hat and say, okay, anything you have for me. We don't want to live with our faith being a one-day-a-week or a two-day-a-week thing, but to be Jesus-centered and Jesus-focused and then everything I do week in and week out is is thought through the lens of how does this impact Jesus and our world. And in order to do that, and that maybe seem like a lofty goal and you're maybe not interested, just keep coming. You're going to find that it's more appealing and more life-giving. But where do we begin? Therefore, I urge you, last week, If we don't desire the things of God, there will be no transformation. So if you want God to use you, transform you, transformation begins with desire. And that's why he appeals to their heart first. I'm urging you, and then we're going to look at the rest this morning. So if it's your heart's desire to live more in tune with the way of Jesus, where can we begin? Well, Let's look at the phrase. Therefore, I urge you, and then this... Word, brother, and then, and sisters. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. How do we begin to see God transform us, if that's our desire? It begins by remembering who we are. The good news of Jesus is that no matter where we came from, if we embrace His way, if we follow His teaching, if we put our trust in Him, something really happens. My relationship to God changes and my relationship to you changes so that I can say, and he's never met these people. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. I've got two biological brothers and a biological sister. And that's family, right? And maybe you have some family or mom or dad or aunt or uncle. And family is different than friends. At least it should be. There's a relationship, a bond. Well, what he says, and and maybe we don't even remember that or believe that. If you are in Jesus, you are a part of a real family. So I have two brothers and one sister, but actually I have untold numbers of brothers and untold numbers of sisters because I urge you people who now belong to the family of God. And this is why real transformation is possible in your world and it's possible in mine is because God has taken us from our own brokenness. Some of us come from really... Uh, dysfunctional. I'll put that in a nice way. Family situations, messed up scenarios. You may be in that right now. Here's the encouraging and weird word: You're not alone. That's encouraging in the sense of you're not going through struggle alone, and you're not the only person that's wrestling with tough times. Also, it's it's an encouraging word in that because we all come from broken places. God in Jesus puts us in a greater relationship. That is stronger than flesh and blood. You are now a part of something that's bigger than you. And that's why church is so important. Not because of a weekend gathering and some place to be generous and serve. It's because God is a perfect father. And Jesus is a perfect leader. And he has brought us into a perfect relationship with himself. And now what he wants to do is work that out as a family. And even though we come from places that may be broken, it could be in, in Jesus' family, you can find real life. Even though you're a human family, it may be hard to find that. It's like Paul's taking us back to the beginning. You remember Romans 1, we were there a long time ago. I'll put it on the screen. I'm not ashamed of the good news of the gospel. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's real transformation for everyone. That is the theme of the whole letter. That whether you're Jew, first of the Jew, or non-Jew, then to the Gentile. People had their, the Jewish community had their way of following Yahweh. And, and they had their own community, which if you were not Jewish, you were not a part of. But now in Jesus, God has done something unique. He takes Jew and non-Jew and he puts us together and he changes us. For in the gospel or the good news, the righteousness of God is, it's revealed. You want to know how to live in the right with God. You want to know how to enjoy God and all that he is. It's been revealed. It's not hidden. This family of people from all over the world, we embrace something. And what is that? It's from faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, I'm, I'm belaboring the point, but it's worth it. The foundation for real transformation in your life and in my life is remembering that we are brothers, we are sisters, we've been united through Jesus Christ. He's brought us into this big family and we have really been saved. And that's a word that's loaded and I know it's it's for some become like, "Oh, don't don't yeah. you know, don't don't use that word." Okay, I'll use another word. Saved. <laughs> Rescued. Jesus has really done something in you to the point where God is your father and you are connected to Jesus and to me and to you. All right, so the foundation of transformation is desire. And then how do we live out the desire? We remember that we have been united with Christ. We are actually connected to him. It's not like, God, I want to live different so that somehow you'll be happy with me and get me off the hook. That is not the gospel. The gospel is because God has already changed you in the deepest level, now you can live, your deepest desire, and if you know Jesus, your deepest desire is to honor God with your life. That is your deepest desire, because the Holy Spirit is God himself who lives in you and wants you to live like the Father intended. Now, how do we live up to who we already are? That's the question. And that's what Romans 12 is gonna lead us to, There's room for more of leaning into who you already are. So, therefore, I urge you, desire, brothers and sisters, foundation, you are part of God's family. How do we embrace change? Look at the next line. In view of God's mercy, God's mercy. The NIV puts it as God's mercy. The other translations uh, say, in view of God's mercies. So, Uh, Which is right, is it singular or plural? It's plural in the original language, and why does that matter? When I think of God's mercy, Paul's not saying, and there's nothing wrong with saying God's mercy is singular, but it almost gives the insinuation in view of the one thing God did, right? But mercy is better translated mercies. God has been really, really good to you really, really often, a lot, and then some. Which is poor English, but sounds like you get the point. God's mercies. So all right, I want to want to change. I want to be transformed. I'm a child of God, I can because now I've been adopted into a new family. In view of God's mercy, how do how do I begin to take these steps? Now, what is mercy? Let's let's get a definition. Mercy is pity. It's it's concern over another's misfortune. It's compassion. This wasn't taken out of a dictionary. This is like relating to the word used in Romans 12. Mercy, you could translate compassion. And, okay, so I have to want to change. I can change because I'm in Jesus. And the motivation to change, hear me, is God's compassion. And we're going to tease that out for the rest of our time, and we're going to respond in worship. Where does Paul use this word in other places? In his letter to the church at Corinth, He is having the worst time. He is suffering terribly for the gospel. And he's at the end of his rope. And this is what he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy or compassion, the same exact word in Romans 12, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Today is just foundation. Romans 12 can be life changing for you if you allow it. I have to want to change. I can because I'm a child of God, and the motivating force is mercy. And what he says to this church as he's suffering is, I can praise God because why? He is the father of compassion. And when I need comfort, he's providing it. When I'm struggling, he is there. God's not far off, he's full of mercies, plural. So God is mercy, the father of compassion. Anything that I'm going to do to help live as a Jesus person, a brother and sister to you, the motivating force is not my ability. The motivating force is God's mercy shown in my life, motivates me to want to live in the same way way. And trust me, I'm, I'm just throwing things out there. I'll string it together at the end. There'll be a big crescendo, music, the whole shebang. It's coming. It's coming. So, Father of mercy. Mercy comes from God and Paul says, in the middle of his suffering, I've had it. And he's telling the church, uh, in your suffering, God's the, the Father of compassion to you. Hang on. We pause for a second. He is the Father of mercy and somebody's saying, well, he doesn't feel like the Father of mercy to me right now. Him... Having compassion and being mercy doesn't mean that we don't go through things. That's what Paul's saying right here. It means that God can be with you in the middle of it. He can transform the way you see it and actually show you a way to live that honors him even in the middle of hell on earth. And we want to be the kind of people that aren't blown away by everything that happens in our world. And one day we love him because everything's good. And then when things go bad... We no longer trust Him. We want to be a people that represent what it means to live as the children of God, no matter what's happening in this world. How do we live that way? Colossians 3.2. So we are, uh, we are receiving God's mercy. Colossians 2. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. That's a graphic, right? Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, And and patience. As, notice Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because you've been changed, live this way. And he does the same thing with the church of Colossae. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, you are children of God, loved by God, you receive mercy, now put it on. In other words, no matter what your natural bent, part of being transformed, is learning to allow God to deal with you in the deepest places so that as he transforms you within, you're motivated to live differently. I know I'm getting blank stares. Trust me, I'm stringing it. Just, just give me a little time. Now some of us are bent this way. Um, when you see struggle, whether you're watching it on an app or the news, some are more bent to just do something about it. And that may be you. You're, you're just naturally compassionate. You're empathetic. You feel deeply. It's almost dangerous. Because you get hurt easy, and when you give yourself away, you find that sometimes people don't treat you well, or they abuse that, you know, or you know. And then there's there's others. I'm I'm not naturally bent that way. I, I see it in others and I'm like, wow, that's Jesus. Then there's others maybe more like myself, a little selfish, um, a, a bit judgmental. Like, yeah, well, I could tell you why they're there because they did bad. Bam. You know, like I immediately have figured out why you're in a mess or whatever the case may be. I, there, are, there are some people who are willing to give up their seat on an airplane. I'm not. I'm just not. Um, I've thought, I'm serious, as soon as I book, I know exactly what seat. I know every kind of plane, and which is the bulkhead uh, aisle, and I'm getting it. And if you're like, oh, could you move? Nope, can't. I'm, I'm, this is my seat. I'm running my lane line. And I'm, I am interested in you getting to the same destination. You're going to get to the same time as I am. But this is my seat. Thank you very much. Unless it's a free upgrade, and I will take that. And, and I, I'm not saying it. I'm just being real. Like, my default is me, not you. And then there are others who are like, oh, I'll hold your 12 trying, crying children. And I'll change their diapers, and you can have my food. And, that's, and if that's you, wow, you're just a better person than I am. So, but <laughs> thank you for the amen. That was... <laughs> Nothing like a gentle rebuke of a brother. (laughs) My point is Romans 12 is speaking to all of us. And it is reminding us, desire, I urge you, brothers and sisters, you're in a new family, so we can't use the, well, I'm just not bent that way. I would love to use that. I've tried to use that. Well, I'm now united with God in Christ. I'm a part of his family, filled with his Holy Spirit. Whether my bent is naturally that way or not, he's urging all of us to live out God's mercy. So what, if, especially if you're like my personality type, what's going what's to move us in a way that gets us past selfishness to living? And if you read the rest of Romans 12, it is all about how we love God by loving one another, really. Like real world. How do, I, how do I do that? Two things this morning, write them down. Super simple, but sometimes the most profound things are simple. First, remember who you are. It starts by remembering who we are. We're loved by God. We've been shown mercy. And so you see me saying, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, you don't know what I've come from or what I'm going through. This is why reading all of the Bible is super helpful. Don't just read selections. Try to read as much as you can. Why? God repeats himself in various ways. And if you don't believe me, I want you to hold your place here. When you think about our response to mercy and how it should motivate us, uh, I want to look at the words of Jesus. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, hold your place in Romans 12. And I want us just to see this together. It's a long parable. And we'll start in verse 21. But it's really, really, really on point. And I've got to think that Paul had probably heard this teaching from Jesus. He doesn't quote it, but it sure is in line with what Jesus taught. Verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How do I live out my faith when someone, you know, who says they know you, they sin against me? Up to seven times. So, you know, Peter gets his bulkhead exit row or, you know, aisle seat. I don't think he's giving up a seat for anybody. And because he's like, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So he's got his clicker out, like, you know, 55, 56, 57. You know. So not seven, but 77. Like, whoa, that's, that's mind-blowing. Forget about the numbers. Look at Jesus's point. He tells a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, or God's way of of thinking, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So God is the king here. This is not, like, tricking. God wants to show what life is like. Okay. As he began to settle uh, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So you think you have debt. A bag of gold is a talent. A bag of gold or talent in that day was about 20 years of your wages. Okay, so (laughs) someone's settling up. And a guy owed 10,000 20-year salary bags, a.k.a. you just feel better about how much you owe right now. I don't care what your mortgage is. It's nothing like this. This is impossible. 10,000 times 20 years of your life. But he, he owes this and he wants to settle the debt. But look what happens in the next verse. Mercy. We're talking about mercy. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. Not really. It's not in the text. But like, there's no way he's going to pay this back. But I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity. Compassion. Mercy on him, and he canceled the debt, and he lets him go. So a king is owed, and a servant owes way too much. He gets mercy. Look at the response. So how many of you say, this is a good deal so far? I mean, like 10,000, 20-year salaries. He says, I'm going to pay it back. He just asked for, like, extra time, like 10,000 years, but He says, No, 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 it's canceled. You go free. Pause. This is what the king is like. The the king, the one who made you, is like this towards you. And when you come to him bankrupt, worse, indebted with all your bags and all your stuff and all your attitude and all your history, how does God respond to you when you call on him asking for help? He does not say, I am sorry. Here's a little bit of a discount, nine thousand bags of gold. I'll shave off a thousand. No, the king is full of mercy, and he says you are free. His family is imprisoned, work camp to work off the debt. The family is free, and this is this is a picture of grace. This is mercy. What? How does he respond? When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, so another person who owed him. A hundred silver coins. What's a hundred silver coin? A coin in their day was about a day's wages. So a guy owes him a hundred days worth of debt. Which, that's like a third of a year. That's like, that's a lot of money. He owed him, think of how much you make in three months or so. That's a decent, some you are like, that nah, ain't much. That, that's a decent for some of us, that's a chunk of change. So he owed him that much. He goes to that servant and how does he treat him? He grabbed him, I love Jesus' graphic. He began to choke him. Note to self, if someone owes you money, don't kill him. Look at the heart of this person. They were just let off the hook for more than a lifetime of debt. Guy owes him 100 days worth of stuff. And he doesn't say, can you pay me now? He begins to choke him. He grabbed him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. The fellow servant fell on his knees and he begged him. By the way, this is exactly what he just did. Be patient with me, I'll pay you back. The key line, underline at verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called his servant and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you, underline this, have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. When it comes to life following Jesus. Now we're thinking Romans 12 in light of the teaching of Jesus which is just on point. We need to remember who we are. Remember who we are. Who are we? We are indebted people that God has set free. And yeah... You, you may be doing good and you may be like really achieving. But in light of God, how good are we really? Come on. And so we should take the posture. Remember who you are. We are brothers and sisters. We've been brought into the family of God just because the king said, I love you and you asked me. And guess what? When you ask me, I'm inviting you in. Grace, mercy, compassion, pity that we've received is the motivating force to live differently. And some of us, we struggle with extending mercy, extending grace, extending love, extending forgiveness, giving up our seat when appropriate, because we forget. And what we need to do, I'm urging you, if you desire to follow God, brothers and sisters, you are a child of God. You can live like a child of God. And by the way, a child of God has received that much mercy. And so we've been set free for a reason. So in this world, other people are gonna need mercy and compassion and grace. And guess what, the, the the servant that has been set free is now free to set other people free. And that's God's heart for the world. And that's God's heart for you. Second thing I want you to remember, remember who you are. You're a, you're a child of God, brothers and sisters. You've been given mercy. Remember what God has done. Just, you, you, we have to remember, I am the person that owed 10,000 bags. And even though I am hurt, and this person was hurt, he was owed 100 silver coins, which is not a small thing. In light of God's goodness to him, should he really be choking this other guy? In other words, Why should the servant be merciful? It's because he's received mercy. God has given him mercy. And if you have received it, we ought to extend it. So I'm going to throw up on the screen super obvious realities. We are children of God. We are. If we've chosen to follow the way of Jesus, we have been set free. And we are now able to call God our Father. And I can call you my brother and sister because of Jesus. And we are experiencing mercy. Matthew 18 this isn't just a parable, and it's in light of Peter's question, how often do I extend mercy? A real issue, if you've been in church for a long time, you know people are jacked up. You just know it. Just, you, you know it. And if you have been in church for a long time, you know that Jesus' people disappoint. <laughs> you know. Hey, you gonna do that for me? Yeah. Hey, did you do that? No. Why? I forgot. Lame. And 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 sometimes Jesus people can be hurtful intentionally. Not at this church. That, that's, that's, that's following the way of Jesus. So Peter's question is a real question. How long do I extend forgiveness to people? Jesus? Because there's got to be a point where enough is enough and Jesus' response will blow your mind. 10,000 bags of gold. Until, Until you've given as much mercy as God in Christ has given you, we're not to be the people who point the finger. We're to be the people who extend grace. Now, if that's mind-blowing and impossible, um, yeah, it is. But all I want us to get today is if you are motivated to have real transformation in your life, remember who you are, brothers and sister. In view of God's mercies, multiple, what am I saying? God's mercy is the motivation to change how I respond to people. God's mercy God's mercy towards me, God's compassion, God's pity towards me, and until I remember who I am and how I got here, it was Jesus, It's gonna, I'm going to respond in my natural way and I'm going to be the one to slam you down before you slam me down because I'm competitive. And that's what I feel like I have the right to do. Now, if mercy should be the motivation, what is the natural motivation? Can I tell you one of the most natural motivations is fear. You see, either... Mercy, God's compassion, His pity, His love towards you is going to motivate you to live differently or fear, fear that I'm never going to live up to God's desires. So I'm going to be good because God, I know you're watching and I know that you have like a standard and I'm trying. If, if fear that you're never going to measure up is going to motivate you, my friend, you're going to fall short because your own track record will remind you you're not that good and, and we, we break down fear that if I make another mistake, God's going to run out of grace for me. I'm going to give you a secret, and this is not a license to be evil. God has enough grace for you. Now, I'm going to be very careful, because some of you are thinking like I'm thinking, thank God, because now I can do whatever I want, because God has enough grace for me. And he said the bucket has an endless supply. And every writer in Scripture with a brain, writing God's thoughts to you, says the same old thing. God's grace is never a license to get out of jail and do whatever I want. But rather grace is a motivation to avoid sin and to see evil as something that's foreign. And although I touch it and sometimes I swim in it, it's not my desire. I wanna run from everything that is offensive to God. And I I wanna be where Jesus is and live like Him. Motivation means everything when it comes to long lasting change. And fear is not God's heart in terms of your motivation to live the way of Jesus. So if you're afraid that if you don't just do enough and try enough and muscle enough, if that's your motivation, we're going we're to get discouraged. Fear that if we give mercy and love away, we won't be able to protect ourselves. Especially if you're bent with a heart of compassion. You probably had your, your heart broken at times. And and so fear is not, not just not just fear of like I'm gonna run out of grace for me, but there is fear sometimes. It's a motivator that keeps me from extending grace. Because if I really give you all that I am, maybe you're gonna step on me just like that other person did. And so fear, fear is a real motivator. But Jesus, and he's gonna use Romans 12 in our lives, Jesus wants to transform the motivations of your heart. And that you and I would live like Jesus simply because we're just, we're just grateful. We're just grateful for what we've been given. Therefore, we want and, and, and want everyone to, to experience the same love and forgiveness that we've experienced too. When I remember that I'm a child of God, when I remember God's continual mercy towards me, and if you don't think He's been merciful, you're breathing heavily. I kind of feel it right now. You're breathing You're breathing. That's mercy. You and I, we live in the most affluent place in the world. We we forget that we, you know, this week you could make choices about your life. And in many parts of the world right now, you don't have enough resources to make any choices. And you'll live and you'll... You'll breathe and you'll die in one small spot and you never have an option of getting out because of lack of education or resources. And you, we, just, we, just, we just trade cars and clothes like, like nothing. We just, we, we just have all the stuff. That's, that's just mercy. Now don't feel bad about God's blessing. Just don't take it for granted. Mercy. You and I, we've been given another week for most of us. My wife's grandfather passed away this week. He didn't get another week. That's mercy. Sometimes we just forget how gracious God has been. Well, all of that, when I have a heart to change, I remember I'm a child of God, and I remember God's mercy, I'm in a position to do something. Everything I just said was an intro to the line I'm about to read. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You see, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, so I'm not motivated by fear. I'm not trying to pay for what God did in my world, remember the parable of Matthew 18. The person indebted was just set free. What Jesus is saying is the wrong response is to choke someone else. And in liberating the guy who owed him 100 days worth of stuff, it would have just been a heart that is the right response. So, So all Jesus is looking for in that little parable is for the guy to say, Sure, I just got let off 10,000 bags of gold. Sure, I'll give you an extra few months or years. And maybe we could shave off some of this. The master's just looking for the heart response. Now, if he responded in that way, did that pay back his debt? No. He'd been given mercy. The right response is to live mercifully. So you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means that we give ourselves fully over to God. We don't understand sacrifice when it comes to worship just cuz the way they did it in years of old in 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 thousands of years ago when when God spoke to Israel, he told them to bring sacrifices as part of their worship. This for us a sacrifice is a, if we run out of French vanilla creamer and you still come to church. Like, you know, that's that's a sacrifice. Or I'll tell you a big sacrifice is The fact that you're here and there's a game going on, the big game, it's going on, starts at 1 o'clock. You may miss some of it. A lot of it. All of it. And that, that, this is literally, for some of us, this is our sacrifice to God. Well, in God's revelation, He told the people, worship includes sacrifice. So for them, they sang on the way. They didn't just sing in church or in synagogue or in temple. They sang on the way. They prepared their hearts. And then they came and they cleaned themselves. They repented of sin by washing, by removing, by making sure I recognize God is holy. I don't just say yo and show up. I prepare my heart. And then worship at its center was when I brought my sacrifice. Did God need a lamb or a goat, or grain? Is God hungry? No. Why the sacrifice? Because he pulls on this. I think Paul is pulling. He grew up in the Hebrew tradition. He grew up with this understanding of God. Why the sacrifice? I think it's because the picture, two things. One, it points to Jesus. The, the, The sacrifice that you brought, the whole animal that you brought, it had to be, what was the qualification? Without blemish or spot. In other words, you couldn't bring God your jacked-up freakoid animal because you didn't want it. You got that lamb with four eyes and missing a limb. You know, like, okay, what am I going to get rid of? Take that one, Lord, because I'm not going to eat it. You know, or you can't sell it. Part of the sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice, I think, picturing to Jesus, who is the lamb without blemish, the life without blemish, in order to cover my sin and care for my sin, Someone who is more perfect must must take my place. That's the picture. But I think the second picture is equally practical. You brought your perfect sacrifice to God because it cost you something. Guess what? What can you sell for the most? Your perfect animal. But you brought God your best. Why does God want my best? Because it shows that everything comes from God. He doesn't need it. But it's good for me. It's part of my worship. So present yourselves. Offer your bodies as a living, now not dead. Not needing to be killed. Not needing to take the place. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. I'm now a child of God. When I come to worship, what does God want from me? That I present myself, my very best. I'll put it in English. God doesn't want us to come with our leftovers. He wants the best of your life. He doesn't want a tip on a Sunday for an hour and a half. He wants you to live for Him every day. Even though yesterday was a challenge. He wants you to get up today and live fully for Him. You say, well, how important is this? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The word here is logikos. You could, you could say it this way, and some translations put it this is your reasonable service. You probably heard that translation. This is your rational response. This is the only logical thing to do. So, what I'm saying is, God wants to transform us. It starts with desire, and then it, it leans towards remembering it's because I'm a child of God, God wants to change me, and He can and He will. How has it happened? In view of God's mercy, the motivation to live differently is God has been good and is good to me. In light of all that now, what can I do? I can offer myself to God and, and not just give Him the leftovers. Why would we be satisfied with giving God our leftovers? In light of His grace, in light of His mercy. Therefore, He urges us, brothers and sisters, in view of everything God has done, to live differently. Which leads us to the question, what does it mean to see our lives as sacrifices and not as our own? And that's the transformative difference, my friends. What What I'm asking you is to have a completely different view of life. Small order on a Sunday morning. Is your life to be lived about your dreams, your desires, your wants, your future, your path? Or, in light of Jesus, is the real transformation starting with saying, okay, God, it's not my life, it's yours. And this is not my stuff, it's yours. And this is not my future, it's yours. And I really belong to you and I'm a child and I'm loved and I've been given mercy. What is it that you require? It's a total shift in thinking. Which, by the way, unfortunately for you and for me, is completely and diametrically opposed to everything we are being stuffed with 24-7. Everything outside of Jesus is saying you, 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 you. Except in the time of crisis, be generous, right? Hurricane hits, give some money. But outside of that, oh, by the way, write it off and get a tax deduction and save some money. Ooh, that was efficient. And everything in Jesus is saying, no, now, now my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price, therefore honor God with my body. My sexuality, my resources, my time, my energy, my devotion, my wants, my dreams, they all belong to Christ. And that's where we get to respond. And this isn't like today. This is like every day. What Jesus is inviting us into is the rhythm of daily saying, God, in in view of everything you've done, I want you. And what you want is now what I want. Guess what? Sometimes your desires are in line. Ding! Prize. And that's awesome. And sometimes what Jesus wants for you is absolutely outside the box and will cost you everything. And the beauty of faith is saying, you know what? My deepest desire is God. And if he says that's best, it actually is. Boy, that's that's really following Jesus. Let me ask you, is that what you desire? Well, today we want to respond. In light of God's mercy, I'm inviting you now to take these truths and these thoughts and turn them into prayers and worship. And you can. In the next few minutes, we've set up some songs that could be vehicles, they're just tools, vehicles for you to pour out your heart back to God. And if something I said struck you as like, oh my gosh. That's not me. This is a great time to say, Jesus, I'm inviting you now in view of your mercy to transform the way I think. Some of you, while I was talking, you immediately were you thought of the person that you need to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to. And part of your worship is going to be to leave here and to ask God to give you the strength and courage to walk into a very difficult conversation and to offer what God offers, and that's mercy. Are we gonna be the kind of people who are transformed by Jesus? I pray we are. Why don't you stand on your feet and now let's sing in response to what God has done and invite him to move us. Lord, we confess that, wow, we don't stack up, but we affirm that we do in, in you, Lord Jesus. We are now your children, we have been forgiven, we are being forgiven, we will be forgiven. You are changing us, you will change us, you're not giving up on us. And so today with our energy, with our voice, with our heart and then with our lives and our words and our resources, we are now gonna offer worship to you. And we ask God by your Holy Spirit to confirm and specify the things that need to be transformed as our minds are renewed. For your sake, we pray in Jesus' name.